As we get through Thanksgiving and we begin to head towards Christmas, it's really important that we recognize that some roads are converging. Before I continue, let me just remind you to share online if you're with us in the online community uh, with your friends to join us right now. And uh, feel free to give at any point. As we come toward the end of 2020, our hearts are full of a whole host of emotions. We are, of course, deeply grieving the way in which so many have been so terribly affected. So many have died. So many in this nation and around the world have been affected by this awful pandemic. And many of us are looking forward with some hope and expectation. Just this last week or so, The Economist had on their front page suddenly hope as all of the all of the privations and disciplines and struggles of the scientific community have brought to our attention the fact that vaccines may very soon be available here and in other parts of the world for which we are enormously grateful. And so there are these conflicted kinds of emotions. We, we look back with sadness and grief. We, we confront the present with some degree of challenge and we look forward with maybe a longed for sense of anticipation. Well, as we, as we do that, it is interesting to me that the Lord has planned our study of Luke and Acts in the way that he has. Because by the end of this year, by the time we get to Christmas, we will have completed our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And as we come to the end of that journey, we find ourselves seeing what it is that the Gospel writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to carry forward into volume two as in the new year we enter the Acts of the Apostles. What is it that Luke wants the ordinary reader of this text to be considering? What is it that, that the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to emphasize as we come to the end of this amazing journey, as we've traversed the landscape of Jesus' life from the perspective of Luke's witness? What is it? What are the threads that we're to carry forward? And how will those threads that we draw together as we consider the gospel, what are those threads that the Lord wants us to hold onto as together as community we step into the new year and look forward with hope to deliverance for the nation and for the world? What could it be that God is bringing together as he causes the convergence of our life with our faith with our journey together as church. We're going to read the next passage in Luke 24. And it gives us a story that is only momentarily mentioned in one of the other Gospels, but nothing like the detail that we find here. I'm going to read from Luke 
chapter 24 and verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now we'll return to the story in a moment, but let me pause here and uh, let's look at it in a little more detail. Clearly, the women have gone to the tomb. They've seen the vision of angels. They've heard that Jesus is alive. We know from other gospel accounts that Mary Magdalene has paused at the tomb and Jesus has met with her as the very first disciple to encounter the risen Lord. We know too that the other women ran back to the place where the disciples were staying and told them what it was that they saw. Mark tells us that they were, that they were screaming hysterically as they went. And when they arrived at the home, the disciples could barely believe what it was that they were hearing. Peter and John ran back to the tomb Peter ran into the tomb and, and looked and saw it as the women had described it. John paused and believed, we're told. But that story, that witness, that testimony of the women, as Jason so eloquently explained to us last week, was not sufficient because the testimony of women was not trusted in the culture of the day. That testimony was not enough to cause Cleopas and his companion to pause in their plans to return to their home, their home in Emmaus, seven miles west of Jerusalem. Surely if they had believed that Jesus was alive and was moving through the precincts of Jerusalem, they would wait and see. 
But the events of the crucifixion had so scarred their hearts and minds that they found it impossible to, to rise above the burden of their grief. Their surge capacity was so diminished by their experience that they could not lift their heads. That condition, surge capacity, and this ambiguous loss, things that we've talked about here on several occasions in past weeks, is now part of the popular vocabulary within our nation. This feeling that people have that they, they simply can't get the enthusiasm to hope again. It's as though their hearts are just too burdened by what they've seen and heard and felt. And so, as so often is the case, the amazing contemporary feel of the scriptures is brought home to us again. Here are people who are experiencing something that many of us are experiencing in our disappointment with all that's happened, in our grief in all that's been lost, in our struggle with all that's been divided, in our shock at what it is that we've seen in our nation and in our world. And we just don't know how to lift our heads again. And so they set off toward Emmaus. And as one commentator put it, they were walking towards the sunset. On the road west from Jerusalem, the sun bright in the sky, perhaps that was the reason they didn't recognize the man, no doubt hooded and cowled, to prevent the sun's rays striking on eyes that in those days, of course, could not be covered with sunglasses. Was that the reason they did not see Jesus? I don't know. My own estimation is that Jesus chose to reveal his presence to whomever he wanted to reveal his presence to. And it wasn't the time to reveal himself just yet. But for whatever the reason, the men who were walking toward the sunset could not see Jesus. As we walk toward the sunset of this year, as we walk towards the conclusion of these terrors, are we able to see Jesus, I wonder? Starting with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained what it was that had to take place. He mentioned, no doubt, the offspring of Eve that the Lord spoke about who would crush Satan's head. He spoke about the seed of Abraham and Sarah who would one day rule the world. He, no doubt, spoke about the types of Jesus in the people like, like Joseph and Moses and David. He spoke about 
the ways in which the prophets longed for and looked for the day when the Messiah would come as the servant standing among us, as the one who would change and transform all things. And their testimony of their conversation was that their heart burned within them. Let's continue the story and see what they say. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven And those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I want to go back to what it was that the men said to the unrecognized Jesus on the road. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And you don't know what it is that's happened in these last few days about Jesus of Nazareth? As they described what it was that they had experienced, it says... It records that they said this, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. But we had hoped that he was the one. Their assumption was that the death, the crucifixion of Jesus meant that he was only a prophet and not the Messiah that they longed for. They had hoped that he was the Messiah, but he was not the Messiah because he was dead and no Messiah could be dead. And so the most that they could cling on to was that they had been in the company of a prophet. But notice the way that they, that they witnessed to the life of Jesus. He was powerful in two things. He was powerful in word and deed. And then... Jesus, unrecognized to them, opens the scriptures to them and clearly asserts his authority over them. Oh, foolish people. I mean, imagine meeting somebody on the road and somebody just saying that to you. They're more than happy to receive it because clearly this man had, had an authority, had a, had a gravitas about him that, that caused them to orientate their hearts towards what he was saying. And as he explained what it was that should happen to the Messiah, that it was necessary for the Messiah to die and to rise again, their hearts began to burn within them. 
But Jesus, continuing to test them, wanted to discover whether they wanted the more that he could offer. And what was the more that he could offer? Jesus is attested in word and deed. Jesus is is revealed in word and deed. And he wanted them to have both. Not just part of it. Paul, when he's speaking to the Corinthians, says, my message and my preaching were not simply wise and persuasive words, but they came to you with the Spirit's power and the demonstration of God. Jesus never once in all of his ministry simply spoke. Jesus, in all of his time with his disciples, did not simply rely on what it was that he was saying, however much that caused the hearts of his disciples to burn. There was always something else. There was word and deed. And as we look at this passage... And as we look at the subsequent passage in this final chapter of Luke, you'll see this emphasis again. And as we begin the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see the disciples beginning to live out the life of Jesus. And as they live out the life of Jesus, they live out the life of word and works. Word and deed. Faith and action. Because faith can so easily be described in a way that is inaccurate, is unhelpful, and in the end, deceptive by words that are simply contained in our head and our heart. Faith in the New Testament is never something you simply think about. Faith in the New Testament is always manifest in our behavior. Always. And so Jesus, the man who was powerful in word and deed, ensures that he reveals to his disciples the necessity of hearing and seeing for their faith to be fully established. And a faith fully established by hearing and seeing is a faith that is articulated by what we say and what we do. Hearing and seeing means that we have faith and we do. How did they see Jesus? Well, these disciples had been with Jesus all the way through the events of Holy Week. 
We would imagine that they came with him from his previous locations. Maybe they had been with him at the feeding of the 5,000. But something caused them to pause as Jesus took the bread, assuming the status of the head of the household, assuming the status of the one who had the right to take the bread, to bless it, to break it, and to give it. Something about that caused them to pause. And as they saw him offer that fourfold action, as the theologians call it, they saw him for who he was. At the feeding of the 5,000, at the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He gave the bread. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He gave the bread. He said, my life is the bread that the Father has taken, that the Father has blessed, that the Father has broken, that the Father has given. That all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he says, you too are the bread that I take, the bread that I bless, the bread that I break gracefully, and the bread that I give. And in that moment, they saw Jesus. So my question to you this morning is this. Do you want to hear Jesus? Or do you want to hear Jesus and see Jesus? I'm a very good evangelical. I've been raised in all of the right institutions and I've read all the right books. And I've taught who knows how many people how to hear the voice of God as they read the scriptures and as they listen to the Spirit's work in their heart and in their life. And listening to the voice of Jesus will cause your heart to burn but you won't do anything about it. I'm old enough, crusty enough, hoary old Bible warrior to know that people who hear are not people who do. It's people who see who do. So I ask you again, do you want to hear or do you want to hear and see? Their hearts burned within them. The scriptures came alive to them. Their, their inner understanding of who Jesus was was completely transformed, but they did not see Jesus until they watched Jesus doing something. 
It was in Jesus doing something that they saw him. And when they saw him, something happened that completely changed them. In their desperation and depression, they had walked towards the sunset. They had walked towards the end of the day. And maybe as we conclude this 2020, your heart and life is being drawn towards the sunset. But when you see Jesus, your life is turned around and you run toward the dawn. When you see Jesus revealed, resplendent, and glorious, your faith is not simply an internal thing, but now becomes something that animates your life, and you have to move, and they get up from where they are, and they run back down the path that they have wandered on, and they go back to the disciples, and they immediately testify, we have seen the Lord. Do you see the difference? Now we laid a marker in the first year that Sally and I were here when we did a weekend called the Naturally Supernatural Weekend where we looked at what it meant to be a disciple who listened to the words of Jesus but was also committed to the works and the ways of Jesus. And as I prayed that through in my role of seeking to bring spiritual sustenance to the community, we've looked very much at the ways of Jesus, how the ways of Jesus help us to become families on mission, how the ways of Jesus help us to disciple and encourage one another, how the ways of Jesus help us to form community. But as we go into the Acts of the Apostles, it's impossible for us to encounter that scripture without learning what it means to do the works of Jesus. Now we're not gonna suddenly start running around with our hair on fire because I'm an Englishman and I can't do that. You might be able to and that's fine and I'll bless you in it. But here's my commitment. If I'm to be faithful in sharing what the first church did as they responded to the ministry of Jesus, we have to do the same things. It's impossible for us to go any other path, isn't it? And as we come to the end of the gospel, it's quite clear that that's what Luke wants us to consider. Jesus was powerful in word and deed. And it was in word and deed that we heard and saw him. And when we see the next passage, you'll see Jesus underlining it again. Why is it that the nation still stands unconverted? Why is it that those long prayed for people have still not found their way into their place in the kingdom. Well, people are word weary. 
people are word weary. The words have piled up. And although they may be significant and of enormous importance, their weight has been lost. And of course the Holy Spirit is able to do the things that we're not able to do with his word and we're expecting him to do that. But his word is more than the words. His word is Jesus. His word, the word, the living word is Jesus. And the word came and dwelt among us in flesh and did stuff. I think that's the rough translation of John's gospel. He did stuff. He didn't write in neon letters in the sky. He came and did stuff. He is the word. The word that is spoken and felt. The word that is heard and seen. That's the word. And as you hear the word, ask the Lord, show me this word, Lord. Show me this word. This week, this week, will you traverse your paths in the presence of Jesus unrecognized? He'll open the scriptures to you, surely. Maybe your heart will burn within you as you hear him reveal what it is that he needs to say. But will you see him this week? Jesus made as if to go by. I wonder how many times I've missed that little test. Where Jesus has been accompanying me and there is the person in the grocery store who looks with sadness and longs for hope and I can tell that they need a word. And Jesus, who's been accompanying me all the way through, looks as if he's going to continue. Do I say, Jesus, the day is far spent and it's almost night. Come stay, Jesus, and reveal yourself. When I'm with that person on Zoom and they're telling me how broken they feel and I'm trying to give all of the encouragement I can and Jesus is apparently moving beyond the conversation, do I say, Lord, this person is near the end of a journey. They need you to break the bread and reveal yourself to them. Come.
will we ask the Lord in the next stage of the journey? Will we ask the Lord to take us on so that we're the people who run toward the dawn and not toward the night? There are so many people who are running towards the night. There are so many people who cannot imagine what it's like to run toward the dawn. But we who hear and see, believe and act, and so move toward the new day. What a witness that would be. And as we become familiar with the words and the works of Jesus, so we will be those who live in the way of Jesus. And I believe it will not simply transform our lives, but transform the lives of those around us. And so let me conclude with this challenging question. For all you evangelicals like me, read the scriptures every day. Will you ask the Lord who has spoken to you to reveal himself to you along the way before the end of the day? Let's pray. Lord, we want to go beyond all that we're comfortable with. And as disciples, Lord, we want to step into the full reality that you want us to know and experience. And so, Lord, we know that you, Jesus, powerful in word and deed, want to reveal yourself to us in word and deed and want to reveal yourself through us in word and deed. And so, Lord, we pray you take us on. Take us on, Lord, beyond where we are. Make us naturally supernatural in the way that we function. Help us, Lord, to be like those first disciples, wrestling with what it means to be spokespeople as well as doers. Help us, Lord, not simply to be hearers, but doers of your word also. And may it be, Lord, that our testimony is not simply with wise and persuasive words, but in the Spirit's power. We pray this, Jesus, for your glory and in your name.